guys. Happy late Halloween. We've got a lot to cover in today's episode, so let's get started. First off, one of my friends suggested that because it's Halloween, I should do something about, like, the offensive Halloween costumes. So, uh, I watched Will Witt's video about those costumes, or the videos. Basically, the gist of all the videos was he went to a college campus with uh, some kind of stereotypical outfit. Like, for example, one of them was a stereotypical Mexican outfit, so, you know, like sombrero, poncho, mustache, that kind of stuff. And he's all, he got harassed constantly, and he was called racist by all the college students when he went on the college campus with the outfit. But then when he went to one of the actual, like, uh, ethnic areas where those people are from, like, for example, he went to uh, Bodega in the Mexican outfit one, he, the people there, the actual Mexicans, like, they liked the outfit. They thought it was nice that he was wearing that, that it was funny. And, I mean, that's the same way I feel about them, really. Like, it, it's not offensive to wear something of another culture. I mean, are you purposely trying to be, like, mean and cruel to people of that culture? I don't think so. Like, wearing a Halloween costume probably isn't true. You probably aren't trying to be, like, racist toward them. Like, and if the action is supposed to be racist, then it has to be done with racist intent. You can't be accidentally racist. Well, I mean... I guess you could, but that's not being accidentally racist or anything like that. Like, you have to do that with some kind of malicious intent or twist the outfit in some deeply, like, disturbing or insulting way. You're just wearing the outfit. Like, people who got offended, for example, with the Native American one, he's just wearing a Native American headdress. It's not weird, and it's not offensive, but it's actually nice to be able to share in cultural clothing just like we share in cultural food and cultural music and all these different kind of cultural things. And, like, nobody raises a finger if someone dresses up as, like, a white guy. I mean, if a black kid or a Spanish kid dresses up as Indiana Jones, no white person gets upset. At least not I've heard of. Like, so we can just... It doesn't matter the race of the person. Or if, like, a... Or if a, um... Let's put it this way. If a... A kid of some kind of other non-white descent wanted to dress up as a let's see Roman soldier that's one or maybe a British king now again none of these things would be found offensive so it's not offensive for white people to dress up as someone from a different culture either it's just another way to really appreciate and express the incredible diversity of our country. And now I sound like a leftist. But, I mean, really, that's what it's about. All of the different cultures and traditions come together into the American melting pot, as they call it. And they all come together and form the our American culture, which is very special and unique, and that's what makes us special as a country. Anyway, so that's all I have to say on that. Next up, before we start the main focus of the episode today, is a new tradition I want to start here on the show, and it's called Leftist Meme Review. Basically, the idea is I find a leftist meme and I debunk it. So today we're going to find a pro-abortion meme to debunk. So let's get to finding that. Okay. Had one pulled up a second. Here we go. I found it. Okay. So it says at the top, basically the top text says, I'm going to help you guys out for a second. Oh boy, here we go. 
it says, this is a baby. And shows a picture of a little baby. He's, like, smiling at the camera and stuff. Okay, and now we go down. It's not bad so far. I don't know how they're going to screw it up. Or how badly, but we'll see. And the next one. Okay, there's a picture of a fetus, and there's like a lot of writing, so I'm a little bit scared of that. I mean, it's, it's not like a like it's not a graphic picture. It's like one of those 4D model things. Oh boy. Okay, this is a group of cells called a fetus. Oh my gosh, why do you like this? <laughs> okay. This. Okay, let me let me read from the beginning of the psycho part. This is a group of cells called a fetus that bears passing resemblance to a baby and may in fact one day become a baby, but it is not a baby yet. See that cord? It's attached to the mother, 100% dependent on her body for continued existence and will be for several more months until it reaches a stage called viability. And then the bottom line says, at least until the point of viability, it's still her body, her choice. Boy, this should be fun one. Okay. Point here. A uh, little analogy for you. So if someone is on life support, they're no longer alive until they come off of the life support. Like, this is why I like it when people try to use the viability argument, because it's so easy to disprove. You can pick any stage of viability, any point out thing. Anything you want to use, sentience, um, brain development, lung development, foot development, I don't know, what, what, I don't know whatever the heck you want to pick. Because all these stupid, like, all the random things they pick, and they say, oh yeah, it's not a baby if it doesn't have uh, five toes or whatever. Like, what? This... Basically, it, it, this viability argument is stupid. The umbilical cord does not mean that it's not alive. And, I mean, I guess technically you are correct in saying it's not a baby, it's a fetus. But it's still a human. It's just at a different stage of development. So, we call it a baby to make it more simple. Basically, we say baby is a stage from uh, conception to, like... Mm, what, three-ish, then you go to toddler. But, I mean, people even do that with baby and toddler. They're technically two different forms of development, but they mix them up. They say, oh, like, a five-year-old's still a little baby, but it's still a toddler, technically speaking. Like, you see, these are where the things come in. So, or a three-year-old is baby, technically a toddler. Again, it's really, really less about what you're going to call the thing you can call him or her a fetus a baby you can call them a clump of cells if you'd like but they're still a living human being and you don't have the right to kill them like it's that simple guys so no it's not her body her choice just because the baby happens to be on life support at the moment it's that's just the way it is like, I'm sorry, guys. It's... You, you, you can't kill it. Okay. Oh, this is pretty funny. There... Uh, under it... We're a ton of... <laughs> we're like a ton of pro-life memes. I didn't even mean for this to happen, but this is... This is funny. This, this is pretty... Yeah, it's like a baby making like a... Like a... 
like a bro face and he's like just a few minutes ago I was fetus get real and it's a baby like an angry face in the camera who you calling the lump of cells okay that's fine that those are probably made by like 40 year old women but they, they were pretty funny they, they had a little bit of a little bit of funny I wish I could show you guys but since I'm working on a glorious budget of zero dollars I can't really have like video and stuff I mean, eventually I'll probably get some video up, and we'll have a cool face reveal and stuff. Ooh. <sighs> anyway, now that we're done with that, relatively painful experience, but a little refreshing, get the debate juices flowing, we are going to start the main topic of today's episode, and it is why you should come back after getting the milk, a.k.a. the problem with fatherless homes. So, fatherlessness may not originally seem like such a big issue, but it's pretty prevalent in today's society, especially here in the U.S. Over 20% of white kids live without a father, over 31% of Latino kids live without a father, and over 57% of black kids live without a dad at home, which is an overall combined about 43% of children in the U.S. don't have a dad at home. Like, what? Come on. That's ridiculous. And the effects of this fatherlessness are completely destructive to society. 90% of runaways are fatherless. 80% of anger-motivated rapists are fatherless. 75% of chemical abuse patients, as in, like, people who use drug abuse, who, like, participate in drug abuse try to commit suicide drugs or use overuse drugs, you know what I mean, are their fatherless. 85% of kids in prison are fatherless or youth incarceration stuff. I can use big words that you people hear on the TV all the time. I think it'll be fine. 63% of youth suicide victims grew up in fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. The issue of this lacking a father is very, very dangerous and detrimental to boys especially because they don't have that father figure to show them how to be a proper man, you know, do things like treat women with respect, do how to, you know, do man things. Like, even besides, like, the, like, I know, like, my, what was it, like, my second episode, I mentioned stuff about, like, playing catch and things, but that's, even besides you don't have that, in your life when you were little like you also don't have a father to teach you how to just grow up and be a proper man and defend your family and provide for your family and work and well with a good, give you a good work ethic and all these things it's important it's very important for boys to have that but it affects girls too it's not only a boys thing like most of the fatherless homes people are like oh yeah just boys need fathers at home so do girls. They tend not to point this one out too much. However, the stats for girls without fathers are pretty much just as bad. Along with all the previous stats, which have just been unisex, like both genders of children, fatherless girls are 53% more likely to be married as teens, 164% more likely to give birth before marriage, 92% more likely to get divorced and, of course, perpetuate this endless cycle. And 711% more likely to become pregnant as a teen. 
a teenager that is pregnant. That's not good. And then I know you guys are going to act like, oh, you guys don't, well, if teenagers pregnant aren't good, then you should let teenagers get abortion. I've heard that so much. I've seen so many commercials and ads about it. It's so annoying. We don't mean, oh, and the other thing, it's like, you don't let teens adopt, but you are okay with teens getting it. It's not, it's because you don't get the right to kill somebody if something bad happened to you or if you got pregnant. Like, that doesn't mean you get to kill the child. Okay, we're moving on from that conversation. Anyway, it's still not good for a teenager to raise a child. Obviously, they it's if they have a good parent or good parents, preferably, then their mother and father will help them raise that child. Maybe their grandmother and grandfather will, their aunt and uncle, something like that, their friend, anyone. Hopefully, they will have help raising that child because it will be difficult to raise a child as a teenage mother. Or a teenage father as well, but you know this is was this was female statistics, with the seven hundred eleven percent more likely to become pregnant before marriage. Well, not even before marriage, but as a teen. So you could be technically be married, I guess, but you're still going to be a teenager, and it's going to be difficult to raise a child as a teenager, going through your own changes and hormonal crap, and obviously the ninety two percent more likely to divorce. Um, statistic means that this fatherlessness was just going to continue in a perpetuating cycle and all of these things are very detrimental and damaging to society however looking at all these statistics the solution is simple we need dads to stay in their homes with their kids Okay, so maybe it's not that simple to do, like, in practice, but, like, the the solution itself is simple to find. (laughs) Raising a family isn't an easy job. I've seen the struggles of my own parents throughout the years. I've obviously not raised my own family, so I wouldn't know firsthand, but I have seen the secondhand, second, I've experienced the struggles secondhand. And though my parents face these struggles valiantly, There are people in worse situations than we are and were, and not everyone has the same fortitude as my parents do. I mean, bragging aside, my parents are great. It's difficult to comprehend the struggles of married life and parenthood, which go together, or at least they tend to go together and should go together, but they're also two different things. Getting to uh, adjust your life to include your partner in marriage is one thing. Then adjusting your life even further to include a kid is a whole other deal. Which is probably why some couples wait like a year or two before actually, you know, getting a kid. Either way, the constant stress and all the problems that you have to get through could definitely wear down even the strongest of couples. And then on top of that... Most couples nowadays do not have the strongest of bonds. It's really sad that our society has come to this, honestly. The sexual revolution has pretty much destroyed the strong family bonds used to define lots of our communities, especially black and Latino communities, all, all the minority communities, really, especially immigrant communities, but like every, every minority community and white, obviously white communities, just pretty much everybody. Like everybody used to have really strong family bonds, but especially in like minority communities, because of the situation coming into the U.S. and adjusting to their new life here. Like, for example, Latinos coming in as immigrants, family was most important. 
when uh, Latino people, my people, if I say my people again, I start to sound like AOC or something. My people, ah, look at how racially diverse I am. Ooh. Okay. Anyway, when Latinos came to America, we founded our own communities and worked together, growing our families to include many more people. In these bodega, or bogita, if your name is Dr. Jill Biden, communities, people worked, played, ate, and spent time together using their strong family structures to improve themselves and the others in the community, supporting and leaning on each other. Black communities did the same kinds of things when they were coming out of slavery. They created their own ethnic communities, banded together, strengthening themselves and their families, and working to improve themselves so that they could get a good life, too. And right around the fifth, by like by the 1950s, black communities had a lot of family businesses. There were a lot of strong, large uh, black families. They were together. And they had proven themselves to be worthy of equality. Like, not that they should have had to prove themselves. Obviously, everyone deserves equality, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness just by the virtue of being a human being. But they had definitely proven that there's no way you can segregate us anymore. There's no way you can call us lesser anymore because of how much they succeeded at. And then that all changed with the welfare state, but... Anyway, that is the issue. When per government and the super progressive leftist type ideology came in, it wrecked those values and sent those same communities who were so strong and had broken through even the greatest kinds of obstacles like Jim Crow and segregation, it, and it plummeted them into crime and weakness. As I said before, government refers to the welfare state, I'm not going to say that welfare is, like, an only minorities thing. There's a lot of poor white people on it, too. And I feel like it's basically the new form of sharecropping. You're going to make me... Or not make me. You're going to hear me make a lot of history references because I'm a big history nerd, and if you're watching this show, you have to accept that. And a lot of them are going to kind of make sense. This one is the kind of make sense one. Some of them make more sense. This one kind of makes sense. Give it like a 7 out of 10 on the history's repeating itself chart. Maybe a 6.5. Basically, um, sharecropping was a malicious business practice from Jim Crow and right... I mean, not really Jim Crow era, but like it started right after the Civil War. So kind of like a little bit pre-Jim Crow through Jim Crow era. It was essentially, um, you'd work on someone else's farm, and then they would get the profits, and you would get it cut. And so, it, and it puts you in this perpetuating cycle of debt, because you'd constantly owe the person who you're working on, like, their farm, because they'd buy, like, materials for you, so the crop and the, um, tools... And then you would harvest it and grow it for them. And they would take most of the profit and give you a cut. But then you'd still owe them. So you'd have to work another year and they'd stick you in this endless cycle loop. And people didn't read back then. 
So they gave them contracts that they didn't understand. Yada yada. You, like you get the idea. But it's very similar in the concept that it's a cycle. It's a perpetuating cycle, just like welfare is, where they will take both minorities and poor white people, just like they did back then, because this was an issue for poor whites as well. And they'll give you your little tiny cut of whatever. In this case, it comes from taxes, but it's like your little sliver, and you can have that. And people have become stuck in this, again, it's the endless perpetuating cycle. But instead of a cycle of debt, this is this cycle of mediocrity. It allows them to live off of the bare minimum without putting in any effort, and it gives them no incentive to improve on their way of life. So you're stuck in this endless cycle until you die of eating, like, what is this thing called? Like, well, not ramen. Like, not even real ramen. It's like the store 99-cent ramen cup of noodles and that thing, like, for just for the rest of your life. Like, what? I can't understand why you wouldn't want to improve yourself, but that's probably because I've seen the kind of things that you can get when you are like rich and i've been like really super super rich like rockefeller level rich but just like richer people like high middle class to rich people i've seen because those are the kind of people that go to my school uh i'm more we're more middle class personally like we're not really rich we're pretty much dead middle uh we were low middle class and then like but from before and we've moved up very much which is nice so now we're about middle class, and that's obviously thanks to my parents' hard work. That's really has nothing to do with me. But that's the thing. People have the ability to improve themselves. They work at it. So the people who are stuck in the welfare cycle can get out if they wanted to. The issue is, and I'm not saying they don't want to, like, deep down. It's just that they're stuck in what's called sloth. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And that's obviously, like... Put I mean, you're putting the religious uh, thing on it, but the religious spin, but that's what it is. And that's the reason sloth is a sin is because it's tempting. It's tempting to not do anything and still get the results from it at all. Like for you to sit there and do nothing, collect a check is like, wow, I'm getting this for nothing. That's really nice. And again, fair, but you could get so much more if you worked. It's exponential. The more you work, the more you'll get. And it's much more than what you'd get for not working at all. The political ideologies I was referring to would be third wave feminism and the sexual revolution. Abortion is another large factor in this, but we'll get back to that later. I'm covering abortion a lot in this episode, but I told you guys abortion is my big topic. So it's and it's also tied into a lot of things, honestly, like a lot of the issues in our society come back to this we don't care about life type thing which is the driving force of abortion so it's tied into a lot of other problems and you'll see kind of the web of leftism or whatever (laughs) that's formed as we go through a lot of the problems with our society anyway back to uh the political ideologies that caused a lot of the fallout of fathers good fathers and strong men in families the third wave feminism ideologies of like we need to put strong female characters in place of strong male characters to get rid of toxic masculinity and empower women is stupid. 
Like, I have no problem with strong female characters, but can you... I just want two things for them. Two things. I have I have two... Uh, what's the word? Um, two conditions for that deal. So, one, the strong female character can't just be a replacement of a male character and you just gender swap them like don't do that that's dumb and annoying and it happens a lot and i don't like it two make their character not entirely i am a strong female character and i hate men because that really seems to be the like like the driving motivation behind every strong female character in pop culture and modern media and it's stupid because we've had strong female characters before this and they were strong because they didn't care that they were women like that's kind of the idea behind the strong female character that would actually empower women. It's one that doesn't scream about feminism and shove political BS down your throat every two seconds. Let's take two examples. We have Mulan, not the trash uh, new remake, not the live-action one, the original animated cartoon Mulan, which is one of the best movies of all time, change my mind, and She-Hulk. Mulan is a story about a girl who uh, sees that her father has been enlisted into the army, decides to take his place by pretending to be a guy, going to war, training in a an army full of men, pushing herself to work harder than the men to keep up with them, because as a woman she's less uh, physically capable as the men are usually. And she does this through determination... Again, lots of hard work, pushing through past odds, and she ends up being incredibly successful, and spoiler alert, saves her country from the bad guy, who I forgot his name, because he's really not that important, and honestly isn't the, is less of a driving factor than the movie, than Mulan is, and her kind of struggles within herself. Like, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to do a whole Mulan getting to that. And then we have She-Hulk who's just a feminist but if she was green and spends all of her time yelling about how it's so unfair that women have to deal with the existence of men like what <laughs> like there's the whole long thing the clip that went viral of her complaining to the hulk about how oh i have to deal with men telling me how to do my job I have to deal with men catcalling me from the street. Uh, you, you, you men can't understand how horrible it is for us women every day who are constantly protected and treated better than men are in pretty much every situation. You fool. How could you do this? How could you think that you would know half of our pain? And on top of how dumb it is for her to be saying that to the Hulk, who, like, lost his mother and his father. His father was a, a psychopathic, like, uh, 
drug and alcohol addict who beat up his mother constantly. He ended up accidentally killing his father, and his mother then died on him. He went all across the world trying to escape the monster inside of him, which is the Hulk, as in Bruce Banner did this. And then he also like went through all other kinds of things. He lost his best friend. He did all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And she's getting mad and saying that he doesn't understand how horrible it is that her boss tells her how to do her job. I I wasn't aware that wasn't something bosses were supposed to do. I'm pretty sure bosses are supposed to tell you how to do your job. That's why they're the boss. And then what? And how bad it is that she gets random compliments on the street just by walking by. Like what? Why do people hate catcalling so much? I'm not a catcaller myself. Like I wouldn't go around telling women that they're pretty just by walking by. Like I mean, like it's a bit weird. But like, if so, if I was walking by and people just started randomly complimenting me, saying I looked hot, I would be like, okay, cool, thanks. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why that's offensive, but I mean, okay. Either way, we see a very clear, stark difference here between um, female character who is strong and determined and wants to help her family, help her friends, help her country. And be the hero, and she does that. And then we have another character who just complains and doesn't do anything helpful for anyone and just complains and whines like a big baby and then twerks across the screen because this is what we want our children seeing and this is how we empower our girls and then we have men watching this and like, wow, I guess we're just terrible people. Like, you have little kids wanting to watch a superhero movie, little boys. I mean, maybe not many boys want to watch She-Hulk. But, like, and we're just being... And this is... She-Hulk is not, is not... Is by far not an exception. It is the norm. Actually, no, it's not the norm. It's a bit far to the left of the norm. But it's not that far to the left of the norm of what boys are constantly being told. Oh, you're like stupid and worthless and all these kinds of things. So that's not good. First off. And then on top of this. Constant downing of traditional masculinity. And traditional masculine values of strength and courage. The sexual revolution has also led to weak men. Because there's no longer any special connection between partners. It's a crazy free-for-all. And whenever the consequences of having sex, a.k.a. a baby, arrive, the men just leave and no one holds them accountable because hookup culture is a normal thing these days. And then this is where the abortion part comes in. Oftentimes, instead of leaving these weak men will just tell their girlfriend, who they just impregnated, to just get an abortion. And the ultimatum usually goes something like this. Get an abortion, or else I break up with you. Kill your child, or I'm breaking up with you. And to most women, they can't, your most young women, they can't resist their boyfriend's offer and get the abortion. Obviously, this is for a plethora of reasons and factors from there's um, the hormone oxytocin released during sex which bonds partners together more which is why sex should be safe for marriage 
There's the uh, stigma around not having a boyfriend, stigma around breaking up. There's all of the lies going on about abortion, about how it's not really killing, yada, yada, yada. So I don't really blame the women for this. I blame the men a lot more. I also blame the people who make up lies about abortion. I'm not going to talk about abortion. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep to the subject. We're going to keep to the topic. Come on. I can do it. Okay. Anyway. With abortion available, men can continuously take advantage of women in this way and pressure women into becoming the unwitting murderers of their own children. Great job, feminism. We've come so far. Literally, we've just come full circle now where you wanted men to stop uh, taking advantage of women and now the things you're pushing for allow men to take advantage of women better. I don't, I don't understand feminists, and I don't think it ever will. Anyway, if abortion was not available, these men would be forced to actually stay with their girlfriends and raise the children together. In reference to my point from earlier, we should also make sure to support the idea of traditional masculinity in pop culture and media. Giving boys father figures will help them if they lack a real supportive father in their life. These father figures will instill the same values, or at least work to instill those same values. Maybe not as well, but still well enough that we're hoping they don't become rapists or something crazy like that, because they know how to treat women with chivalry, they know how to express their masculinity and their strength in ways that are beneficial to society, fighting for instead of fighting against, like, you know, you, you know what I mean, like fighting to protect instead of fighting to destroy. Finally, the biggest part of all this, we need to incentivize those fathers to stay with their families. All these things, all of these other solutions will help a lot, but there needs to be some kind of other incentive as well to help the fathers stay with their families. There are lots of possible solutions. Honestly speaking, I don't know if there's a definitive one. I mean, I don't, at least I don't have a definitive one, like one definitive solution that I can think of that would 100% work for every situation. Though, it would be really difficult to find one that would, like, one blanket solution that would work for every possible situation. One way might be to make divorce less widely available, except, of course, in cases of abuse or some kind of other thing like that. But another option might be raising child support payments to make it harder on fathers to want to abandon their kids. If anyone has any really good options, I'd definitely be willing to discuss. I know, like, me saying I only have a few relatively vague-ish options isn't the best way to end the episode. But, I mean, I want to be honest with you guys. This is a situ- This is a topic that's very important, yet I feel like it's important to talk about. I think it's important to start dialogue on this topic because it's never brought up. And when it is brought up, it's like, oh, yeah, fatherlessness is bad. Anyway, like, we need to have an actual real dialogue talking about this problem and finding out ways to solve it that will work for a large amount of, like, the majority of people. It's really one of the greatest issues facing our country. It's also deeply intertwined with the abortion issue. Weak men are the ones that abuse and manipulate their wives into killing their own children just so they can continue fulfilling their own sexual pleasures without consequence. Strong men 
and good fathers protect their wives and their children with everything that they have. It's going to be a long and difficult process to undo what the sexual revolution and all these other crazy things have done to destroy fatherhood and destroy the strength in men. But it's necessary because any successful country, any successful community has to have strong male leaders. You can have strong female leaders too. They're also very important. But having strong male leaders is of the utmost importance. Society won't function unless both genders have strong leadership because men and women are inherently different and have different things that they're good at, different areas where they excel. So we need to have strong leaders in both categories to have a strong and prosperous society. A society like how ours is right now, a society dominated by weak men, is doomed to fail. As one of my new favorite sayings goes, I picked this up randomly from Joe Rogan, (laughs) it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Basically, the extent of that saying is be a strong man even when you don't need to be. Make sure that you are staying strong. And come back after going to get the milk. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We'll be continuing leftist meme review in future episodes. So send me any leftist memes that you would like to be debunked. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at WeNeedTLC or contact me at WeNeedTLC at gmail.com. That's WeNeedTLC at gmail.com. Stay strong, my dudes. And I'll see you guys next time.